Have you found the book of Mark? That's not a hard book to find. You know, the last series we were in, we were in Malachi, and I, I used to look out there and see people struggling big time, even though it's pretty easy to find too. But Mark, I think you should be able to find that. Have you found Mark yet? How about chapter 11 in Mark? All right. Well, I just want to talk to you a few minutes this morning about a theme that we have for the next three Sundays. This Sunday, next Sunday, and the following Sunday. Our theme on each Sunday is going to be Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, we begin this little mini-series, if you will, starting with what we would traditionally do on this Sunday, the triumphal entry. Um, the last couple of years, I look forward to preaching a message on the trial for entry, but the Holy Spirit said this year, Derek, I want you to take a little slight detour. You know, they've heard that many times, and, and they're familiar with it, but it's something I want to I do today that's a little different, but it still fits in. So if you look at Mark, the book of Mark, starting at chapter 11, let's just review, let's just familiarize ourselves with where we're going. See, in chapter 11, that's where you get the account of the triumphal entry. This is when Jesus um, was coming toward Jerusalem. And, and Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and find as you enter it, you'll find a coat tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. He even told them, if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. So they went out and found the coat. And Jesus got on that coat, and he began to ride into Jerusalem. And you remember what happened? The people threw their cloaks over it. People spread their cloaks on the road. People spread branches. That's why it's called Palm Sunday, because they were palm branches they had cut, and they laid them in the path in symbol, symbolism of, of a king coming in, conquering what he saw before him. And they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And I would love to stay there and unpack that. But the Holy Spirit said, no, I need you to go a little bit further with this. And if you look closely, you see that from there, he went out to Bethany with the 12, and he passed by this fig tree, and he cursed the fig tree. Then he went into the temple. And I wish I could stop and talk about what he did in the temple, but that's not what the Holy Spirit said do today. So I'm just going to mention it briefly. You know, he, he, he went to the temple, and you remember he cleansed the temple because they had made his temple a house of thieves instead of a house of prayer. Y'all remember this? If y'all remember it, I can move on. If you don't remember, I'm going to pause now because this is important. Move on, you say. Okay, I got you. I got you. And then he got into this conversation around about verse number 27. He got into conversation with the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. They were questioning about what authority do you do the things that you do? How, how, how dare you, and I'm going to put it in plain English for you, how dare you claim to be who you claim to be? How in the world are you going around here healing people, casting out demons? talking about you or God. How do you do that? What, what authority do you have? And Jesus replied to them, and there was a little tit for tat, but it ended up down to, at the end in verse number 31. They said to Jesus, we don't know. And then it's in chapter 12 is where we want to spend our time this morning. Chapter 12, verses 1 
through 12. Would you stand as I read this passage? If you have your Bibles, read along with me or your devices. It's not on the screen. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help you there. You know, I, 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 I just intentionally don't put it on, the whole passage on the screen in hopes that either you have a Bible or your device every Sunday when you come to church. I'm just doing that on, so if you got a problem with that, see me after church, and I'll explain that to you. <laughs> so here we go. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Chapter Verse 12. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Before you take your seats, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that is in your word. And Lord, as we take a few minutes to really unpack these 12 verses, Lord, I pray that you open every ear, you soften every heart, so that you will be able to deliver the unique, specific message you have for each individual. And I mean each individual assembled in this place this morning. And Father, at the end of that, I pray that the same freedom that we've enjoyed here by worshiping your holy name and through song, we will have that same freedom to rush to these altars and allow you to do business with us in a way that maybe we haven't experienced in recent days. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The rejected stone. The rejected stone. That's our topic for today. The rejected stone. I gave it a little introduction because I wanted to put it into context, this parable. And you know, a parable is, is simply a story that brings a spiritual truth. A story that's really rooted in something that is common to the listener so that the listener, if they have ears to hear, can discern what the truth is. That's a parable. Uh, different than a story. We talked about stories last week a little bit. But different than a story, especially a story that you or I might tell. Because this is a parable that Jesus told. And so Jesus was driving home a point. He was bringing truth. He was bringing revelation to the listeners 
that was listening. You, did you pick up on who he was talking to? Because it starts out kind of interesting, doesn't it? Jesus then began to speak to them. Who, who are the them? Yeah, did y'all pick it up when I read it, when we read through it? Give me one person, that, one category of people that's a them. Pharisees. Who else? The elders. And who else? One more. The teachers of the law. See, those are a group of people that he's talking to. And you know what? Uh, as we go through this, I, I want to guard us against saying this was for them then because we have some teachers of the law in here. Yeah, we have some elders in here. And so don't ever think that just because we're looking years and years and years ago that this text doesn't have application for us today because it does. And I believe as we walk through this, you will see. Let me continue. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Now, I'm going to have to kind of dissect this as I go, or maybe exegete might be a better word to use. But I want us to understand that as Jesus began to speak this parable, he's speaking here at the very beginning of God. And he's talking about the grace of God. Because look what God did. He planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it for protection. He dug a pit for the wine press so that they could take the grapes and make them into wine. And he even built a watchtower so they could look out for enemies that might be coming up trying to take what they had. See how generous God is here? How gracious he is? Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of their vineyard. Now, I want to tell you that the listeners on that day, the listeners, those category of people that were listening, they this hit... You know, I told you a parable was, was, was something that was told that, that was in a way that they connected with. And they surely connected with this parable. You know why they connected? Because they are already very familiar with Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. Look at Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah. And the vines he delighted in, and he looked for justice, but now... but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. This whole idea, this whole idea of someone planning something or, 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 or landowner leasing out the land, this was something that was common practice in the day. Most vineyard owners leased their land to tenant farmers. The landowner assumed all the responsibility for the property while the tenants lived on, worked on, and lived off the land. The tenants had very little investment, and the landowner took all the risk. And this is why it was with God himself. God did all the work to establish the people of Israel, while Israel served God in exchange for all their needs to be met. And as Israel would bear fruit, God would be glorified. Everyone would be blessed. If they could have stayed to what we saw here in the, in the first couple of verses. But as we will see, and the parable will reveal, they weren't able to keep their end of the bargain. Before I go any further, I think it might be helpful. And if you got your phones, you might want to take and take a picture of this. 
If you write real fast, you might write this down. It'll help us as we move forward because one of the problems with parables is what's going on here? Who is who? You know, they got all these different characters in this parable, 12 verses. Let me help us out. The owner of the vineyard is God the Father. The vineyard is Israel, the people of God. The tenants are the religious leaders of Israel. The servants, the servants in, this, in the parable are the prophets God has sent to Israel throughout history. The son that's mentioned in the story, the son is, oh, come on, I gave, you, I, I gave you a softball right there and y'all didn't hit it out the park. The son is, who is the, I'm going to try that last one more time. The son is, who is the, now that's the key thing in all of this, what we're going to talk about today. If we don't have that, I don't think we're going to get all that God has for us. But let's keep going. So we got to set up in verses 1 and 2. Let's keep moving. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He, st he sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat Others, they killed. Now, this could get very confusing. I mean, who are all these people getting beat up? What is he talking about, Jesus? What, Jesus, what are you saying? They knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew exactly what he was talking about. And let me, let me, let me, let me kind of share with you what Jesus was getting at. He's talking to these people who do the law inside out. He's talking to people who knew it because they memorized Scripture. Just like he talks to us because we have it available on devices, on Bibles. How many of y'all got more than one Bible in your house? Look, look, look around the room. Look around the room. And it's on your phone too. Keep, keep your hand up. We got the Word at our disposal everywhere we turn. But look how we treat the people God has sent us to bring the Word. This is what he was talking to them about. Let me, let me share this with you real quick. You see, the fact of the matter is, is that he was talking about the prophets of the Old Testament because this whole thing started when God identified Abraham and his family and eventually they would become known as the people of Israel. You remember why this was all taking place way back in, in Genesis? So that he could redeem his people to himself. And he told Abraham that you will be a blessing and you will be a blessing to all. And, 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 and paraphrase it, that, you, that all people through you will be blessed. This was the original intent. And now here we are now where he sent people to them because the people of Israel, like us, were always getting off on the wrong track. They'll do good for a while, then they'll fall back. They'll do good for a while, they'll fall back. They'll have their quiet time with the Lord. They'll go to the temple and pray, and then they'll forget to go. This sound familiar to you? Anybody here know it sound familiar? It's on and on again. This is what was happening with them. And, and not only that, but, but God would send prophets their way, trying to, 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 to convince them to return back to the Lord. And this is what they would do. You know, Jeremiah, the faithful preacher who also warned about the judgment of God and the Babylonian captivity, was constantly mistreated abused endlessly, thrown into a pit. And tradition says he was stoned to death. 
That's how they treated him. Ezekiel, Ezekiel was murdered by an Israelite that he rebuked. Amos had to run for his life. Zechariah, the priest, in 2 Chronicles 24, I know some of y'all say, y'all just running this stuff off, Derek, and I don't, where is that in the Bible? You know, we love to ask it. Where you find it in the Bible? Here go one right here. 2 Chronicles 24, you're looking there and you see that Zechariah was rejected, chased into the temple where he thought he was safe, but they stoned him to death in the temple. Tradition and other works that support the Bible tells us that, that, tells us that Isaiah was cut in half. This, so, so God is sending people to them to keep them straight. And look how they were abusing the people. John the Baptist, head cut off. You say, well, Derek, I, I don't do anything like that. But what do we do? How do we treat those who try endlessly and faithfully to bring the word of God to us? We ignore them. I don't have time for it. Or downright just come against them. We are not innocent ourselves, people. Remember at the beginning I said, resist the temptation to just look at them as, oh, look at them, because we have some skin in this game too. But let's, 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 let's keep moving. Before I go, though, just like I talked about how we saw the grace of God in that opening two verses, you know what we see here? we see the enormous patience of God. Because despite them treating the prophets wrong, God kept sending the prophets to them, hoping that one day they would wake up. And then we get to verse 6. At verse 6, this is like one of those key verses in the whole passage. Look what it says. He had one left to sin a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. Now, that ought to sound familiar to all of us. Amen? I mean, you remember when I, when I showed who's who? Who is the son? The son is who? Come on, y'all. You know, I got a super, we got a superintendent here. You know, act like you, you understand what I'm saying, you know, so he, he you know, the son, Jesus, in this parable, Jesus saying to him, he had one left to sin, a son whom he loved. Those words should resonate with us. Those words should remind us of some truth. Because those who had an ear to hear at this point, no doubt heard echoes of Genesis 22 and 2, where God told Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love and offer him as a burnt offering. If we really know our word, if we really know what the Bible says, you know, when we read that, those couple of verses right there, we're reminded of, for God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting love. And if we really, really know our word, we will be reminded of 1 John 4 and 9. God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And the following verse, verse 10, in this, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. In that one verse, the gospel is opened up. 
And you would say, surely they got message now. I mean, his only son. He sent the only son to these tenants. And what did they do? But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now before again we get on our righteous high horse, how many times have we rejected Jesus? I got a better plan. I got money. I've got an education. I've got a good family. I work hard. I do good. You want to add anything? So we, we don't, don't think that we're so different than them. Even though theirs was pretty obvious and pretty out there, we have our own things that we deal with as well. And, and let me talk about this air thing, the whole air. See, you, you know how air works. You know, they, they probably figured, well, the father must be dead. You know, he didn't come back. And so he sent this air out here. If we take them out, then we would inherit everything. We can do what we want to do. We can do it how we, how we want to do it. Remember their context. They're living in, in, a, in a land that has been, been, is nowhere near what it was before. And the Romans has their, has their foot on their neck. And their whole focus was, we want to overthrow the Romans so that we can be in charge. And the problem with that is, if they would be in charge, if they had got to be in charge, just like if we were in charge sometimes, we'll do just like the people that we're trying to get out. And God knew that about these people. So what did the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill these tenants and give the vineyards to others. And that's exactly what happened. Because in A.D. 70, the Roman government totally destroyed the temple, killed millions of Jews, and ran them out of their own land. And from that time on, Jesus became the one who would carry along with the prophets and along with you and I. We became the inheritance, the ones who inherit all that God wanted to do. That's how we fit into the story. Because up until this time, the Israelites thought, and they were, they were the chosen people. They had a little backwards. They thought it was all about them. I remind you, as I started out in the beginning, God intended from the very beginning for them to spread the word about their kingdom to all people. But these, these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, they were stuck on themselves. You know why they were stuck on themselves? Because they were, they were, they were padding their pockets. They were, making things for the, they were making things better for them. And they had forgotten all about anybody else. And then Jesus asked a strange but powerful and convicting question. He's talking again now, remember, to the Pharisees and, and, the, keeper, and, the, and the teachers of the law and the elders. And he said to them, haven't you read this passage of Scripture? 
The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. <laughs> the stone the builders rejected. Remember, Pastor Kelly read this during our call to worship. A portion of what she read is right here. This was the psalmist. And you know, you know the thing about this psalm? They knew this psalm very well because Psalm 118 is a psalm that they sung when they were on their way to Jerusalem every year for the Passover. Jews today sing this song in this season of the, of the year. So they knew this psalm very well. And, and, and another thing about this particular passage, th th these verses, the stone the builders rejected. The word stone in Aramaic, which what Jesus would have been speaking, and Hebrew in what psalm was written in, sounds a lot like sun. So when they heard this, they were taken aback. Because what he was saying to them in those uncertain terms, the sun that you rejected has become the cornerstone. And the Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, right here, i got to talk about this whole concept about cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? What's the significance of a cornerstone? You know, have you seen that building down on 13th Street? I, I'm talking to y'all. Have you seen the building on, that's under the construction down on 13th Street and Broadway? Have y'all seen it? Show me your hand if you've seen it. Some of y'all need to get out of the house more. <laughs> go downtown, 13th Street Bridge, it runs over to Phoenix City. When you go on that bridge, look over to the right. You can't hardly see nothing else because this big building is being built right there. A humongous building. And I remember when it first started, they started digging down way deep to build this building that I'm not sure how many stories it is going to be high, but I don't think they complete what it's going to be. And I talked to someone that has a very prominent role in building that building. And I said, when I say cornerstone to you, what, what does that mean to you? He said, well, Derek, in modern building, it almost means nothing. Because we build down way deep, and we put these beams in the ground, and we start building up. And the way it works is the beams are, are you ever heard of weight-bearing beams? You know, the weight of the structure is it, transmitted from the floors and the people and the furniture. It's, it's, it's held by the beams. And the beams, why they go down the ground is because they want to transfer the weight of the, of the beams of the building down in the ground. That's what makes it secure. That's what makes it safe. That's how it can withstand tornadoes and, 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 and earthquakes to extent. But this is not what the reality was here. Because they were doing masonry building. And in masonry building, the cornerstone is a key element in the whole building. It's got to be a stone that's heavy enough. It's got to be a stone that is shaped right, like in a cube. It's usually the stone is different than the stone is being, the building is being built of because it's usually a harder stone. It's got to be a perfect stone. It can't have any flaws in it. It can't have any cracks in it because the way it works with masonry building is this. When they place that stone in place, all the other foundational stones go off of that stone and to make sure that the, the building is going to be straight, they will look off of that cornerstone to make sure that everything else is laid in place. 
And if it's going to be a building that's going to go up any kind of height, then the weight of that building is transferred to that cornerstone. And so this cornerstone becomes a keystone in all the building of that building. You and I are referred to in the Bible as temples of the Holy Spirit. And if we are going to be built right, we have to have a cornerstone. And that cornerstone is Jesus. In the parable, then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. What does this message reveal about you? Let me meddle a little bit. One of the songs we sung was talking about Peace in the middle of chaos. Y'all remember that song? What was it? I can't remember which one it was. I was just listening to the music. The worship was just so powerful this morning. Firm foundation? Thank you, thank you. Let me ask you this question. Are you about to fall apart because there's chaos in your life? Let me ask you something. Who is your cornerstone? What does this message reveal about you? Are you perplexed? You know, I hear this phrase all the time. I say it myself every now and then. I have to repent of it every time I say, I'm about to lose my mind. <laughs> Who is your cornerstone? What is, what is your life built upon? You see, the thing about Jesus being the cornerstone, let me just ask the next question. Are there any specific steps of response the Spirit is prompting you to take? Out of this simple parable that Jesus told, I just need to have Him as the cornerstone in our lives. Because the fact of the matter is, for some of us, our cornerstone been our checkbook. Because we got plenty of it in the bank. But man, if we've learned nothing else, we have learned something in the last several weeks when a bank can just go under at a moment's notice and not a doggone thing you can do about it. Is that what you want as your cornerstone? Is that what you've been, you've been dependent on as your cornerstone? Oh, but Derek, you, you got to understand, I've invested well. You know, my wife and I, my family and I, we've got a, we've got a nice house. You know, it's built well, one of the finest houses you ever want to see. You must have been asleep when the tornadoes went through Arkansas and Mississippi and here in Georgia as well, and people well-built built houses were demolished. Is that what you want as your cornerstone? My family, my family, my children are so good, and, and you know, I'm so proud of them, and that's good, that's good, that's good, There's nothing wrong with that. But things like cancer and accidents. This past week, three funerals of people that I was personally close with in two days. Are you still wanting that to be your cornerstone? So here's the question. 
do you submit to Jesus as the cornerstone? I was wording that question and I almost put it as, will you make Jesus your cornerstone? But if I say it like that, that's getting right back to the trouble we always had. We're always trying to build our lives ourselves. And that's not the way it goes. The question is, do you submit to Jesus as the cornerstone? Those that serve a community are going to make their way up and they're going to prepare the elements. Because I think, you know, there's a lot of ways that we could bring this to a close, but I, don't, I can't think of in the moment a more powerful way than Holy Communion. But before we rush up here to Holy Communion, I want to give us time to respond to what God might be doing in our lives. People that's going to be praying for you, that's, that's open to praying for you, they're making their way up front right now. And if you're sitting there and you're saying, you know, I don't depend on Jesus like that. Maybe today is the day that you can come and ask the Lord to be the cornerstone of your life. Or maybe, maybe at one time you did. And over a period of time, you've just drifted. Now, this is where the parable is a parable and the truth is the truth because in the parable, it would seem to be that, you know, it's a one-time thing, but no, it's not. In truth, God has the ability to reestablish himself as a cornerstone in your life anytime you invite him. We, we're going to take some time here just to kind of sit with this. They're going to they're sing a song. I don't want us to move. I don't want us to just, just, just kind of sit. Let, let these questions kind of stay with you. And then after a few minutes, and, and, and while this song is being played, if you need to come to the altar, if you need to come to the altar, whether in response to this message or whether you came in here with your life just in a chaotic situation or you have a burden on you that's so great that you feel just uneven, just, just your equilibrium is just all off, then this will be a time for you to just come to the altar and allow one of these prayer warriors to just pray with you. So they are going to sing. I'm not even going to ask you to stand. I'm just going to trust that people will respond as God leads them, and then we'll come back and get ready for communion. Let's, let's sing this song real quick. It's not, we're not going to take long. God doesn't need a whole lot of time to address what ails us. This is a 